Have you ever found yourself in a situation you weren't sure how you were going to get out of? Maybe it's an embarrassing moment where you did something and you find yourself stuck and you were in desperate need of help. Or maybe you decided to start a project and that project was much bigger than you thought it was going to be and you ended up stuck, desperately in need of help. For me, this happened on a middle school uh, camping trip. So most of the time you end up on a middle school camping trip, you need help. But I'm not quite sure how their small group leader convinced them that, convinced their moms that it was okay to bring a bunch of middle school boys together and light off fireworks. But that's where I found myself was in this weekend with middle school boys and hundreds of dollars of fireworks and a massive bonfire, right? So that's the setting. We'll just let that sit for a minute. Uh, and throughout the weekend, it was cold. We would all kind of back up to this bonfire and get warm because it was really chilly out. And I arrived home Saturday night at four o'clock to get cleaned up and go to a wedding at six. Now, I need to pause for just a minute. And I looked really hard for a picture of this and could not find one. But this was at a time when I had hair. Now, don't get too crazy. It wasn't super long, but it was longer, and it was a little longer in the back than it was on top, right? So I had this hat on. I'm backed up to the fire. It's just trying to keep warm. I go home. I get in the shower, and I go like this, and my fingers stick in my hair. And what had happened over the course of the weekend is I had been so close to the fire that my hair, like, burnt and melted or matted together. I'm not even sure. It's been so long since I've had hair. I'm not even sure what it does when it gets hot like that, right? But like you can't comb it. You couldn't get a brush through it. I'm like, I have to go to a wedding and it's now like five o'clock. I've got an hour. How am I going to get, I am in desperate need of help. So my wife picked up the phone and started calling one set of places to get your hair cut. I started calling the other. They said, yes, come now. We can get you in. So I got dressed for the wedding suit and everything, got there, got my hair cut, put the jacket on, and went with a freshly shaved head uh, to the wedding. And we made it. So it's one thing when we get stuck in a ridiculous situation like that, or in a ridiculous uh, kind of story or whatever, but what happens when life is falling apart and we're really stuck? What happens when it seems like there's no way out and we don't know how to move forward in life. Where do we turn for help then? And if you've been with us for the last couple of weeks, we have been looking at the story of the prodigal son. And I think the prodigal son shows us exactly where we turn for help in those moments of our deepest need. Now, if you haven't been with us, this has been a series called Finding Your Way Back to God. And Zach has invited us to experience this very common story that Jesus told in very different ways. He's challenged us each week to pray bold prayers. And last week, if you missed it, I want to encourage you to go back and listen to his message. He ends it with this incredible story of this girl who returns home. And if you just want to listen to the end, if you need a good cry on Sunday afternoon, go listen to like the last 10 minutes of it. If you don't want to cry, don't ever listen to that sermon. That's what I will tell you. It was fantastic, but it will make you cry. And it's in that moment of thinking about returning home that I want to pick up again today. But before we get there, let's take a look at Luke chapter 15, starting in verse 14. It says, at this time, his money ran out. 
the son we're talking about, a great famine swept over the land and he began to starve. He persuaded a local farmer to hire him and the man sent him into his field to feed the pigs. The young man became so hungry that even the pods he was feeding the pigs looked good to him, but no one gave him anything. When he finally came to his senses, he said to himself, at home even the hired servants have food enough to spare And here I am dying of hunger. I will go home to my father and say, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you, and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Please take me on as a hired servant. So he returned home to the father. And while he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming. Filled with love and compassion, he ran to him, embraced him, and kissed him. Quite the story. And if you don't hear anything else today, I want you to hear this. I think the bottom line of this story is our moments of deepest pain are where God's love shines brightest. Our moments of deepest pain are where God's love shines brightest. Now the truth is, none of us will go home until we hit rock bottom right? This son ran out of money. A famine started. And at that point, he could have realized he'd made a mistake, realized he'd done the wrong thing, went home and said to his father the same thing he ends up saying anyway, Father, I'm sorry. I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm not worthy to be called your son. Would you take me on as a servant? But like many of us, he's got this fighting spirit that's not going to quit until he's at rock bottom. So he's got one more idea. I know what I'll do. I'll go hire myself out to a farmer. I'll go get a job. I'll make the money I lost. I'll be able to continue to be on my own. I don't have to go home. I don't have to say I'm sorry. I can keep going. And he finds himself literally at rock bottom. I don't know how you picture this story, but I picture this son just sitting in mud. The pigs all around him. And I have been around enough pigs or close enough to enough pigs in my life that I can't imagine what it would feel like to stick your hand in the trough where the pigs eat, pull up a broken, half-eaten, half-rotten corn of cotton, corn, cob of corn, and think, I'm hungry enough to eat that. But it's in that moment that he realizes he needs help. And he comes to his senses. Now, the church word for this is repent, right? So that just essentially means if I'm going one way, I'm going to turn around and go the other way. I'm going to turn from what I'm doing and go the other way. The Hebrew word for this is teshuva. So I would like for you to say that with me, sitting on your couches at home or in the room, teshuva. And teshuva means this, to go back where you belong. To go back where you belong, to go home. 
I want you to think about life, your life. Have you been in a place where you needed to teshuva? You needed to get back to where you belong because you weren't there anymore. You know, for me, this is the years from 2007 to 2009. Some of you know that I was out of ministry for five years from 2007 to 2012. Those first two years were really the hardest. I had some junk in my own life, some sin. I was pretty broken. And to be honest, when I walked out of the church, I was done. Not done professionally. I wasn't going to sit in the seats you're sitting in ever again. I was done. And I figured, well, I like to drink the coffee, so I should go get a job at Starbucks. Forget the gifts or the talents or the education. I'm just going to make mocha for the rest of my life. $7.25 an hour. I'll be okay being the guy on the other end of the drive through speaker. God has this really interesting way of working. So I go in there. It's within the first week, it's my turn to learn how to make mocha. I just want you to know, if you drink Starbucks mocha, that is maybe the most disgusting substance on earth. It is a powdered chocolate that you just add hot water to, mix up. Looks like brownie batter. Doesn't taste like brownie batter. Tastes awful until you put espresso and milk with it. And I'm making this batter. And the shift supervisor comes over and she says, so what'd you do before you worked here? That was my least favorite question. I was a pastor. Oh, I worked in a church. Yeah. So I'm like, how do you answer that? I'm not super creative. I just said, hey, you know, I was, I was a youth pastor. She goes, I hate the church. <laughs> Me too, let's be friends. I didn't realize it then. But her story and my story in this place of Starbucks began to lead healing to both of us. You put that alongside a wife who just wouldn't give up and who said, we're going to church. I said, you're going to church. She said, we're going to church. So we went. For months, I came home and just critiqued it, tore it apart, went to work on Monday morning and my coworker said, how was it? I was like, oh, this is, you're going to love this story. And all of a sudden, we both began to realize there was something we were missing. And then I got into a church that was actually half decent, but they had small groups. And my wife said, we should join a small group. And I said, nah, maybe not. She said, we're going to join a small group. So we showed up on Monday night. You could see who wears the pants in my family. So I show up. The small group leader was not prepared for what was about to happen that night. I can assure you of that. I've led a lot of small group training since. I don't think I've ever provided training for this type of person. He says, well, I'd like for you to go around and introduce yourself. It's the first night we're all being together. Introduce yourself. Tell us your name. Tell us why you're here. I said, hi, my name's Jason. I'm here because my wife made me come. You're all a bunch of hypocrites. This is all going to fall apart in six weeks, and I can't wait to not come back. And there's this silence. And he literally thought, they didn't go over this in small group leader training. I don't know what I'm supposed to do. But that small group kept walking with us. They didn't judge me in that statement. Matter of fact, the one thing the small group leader said was, I'm glad you're here. 
Did you just listen to what I said? Over the next three years, that small group walked with us through infertility and the struggles we had at having a kid. It celebrated with us at the birth of Josiah, our oldest son. They walked with us through my battle, diagnosis with cancer, my battle and treatment. They were there. They weren't what I thought they were. But I was dead set on running away. I don't know if you've been there or not. Or if you're there today, I can't help but think that as many people watching online and are in the room, there's somebody who's been there or is there right now. And I want you to know you can experience Teshuvah. You can return back to where you belong, back to a relationship with Jesus who loves you, back to a small group that will help you heal, back to a family that loves you and wants to mend the broken relationships. You see, I think my story is part of the reason I am so passionate about helping people find a place where they can belong no matter who they are and getting people connected to groups. This theme goes all throughout Scripture. All kinds of Bible characters are broken and alone and desperate. King David, the nation of Israel, Paul, and the son in this parable. The truth is, each and every one of us at some point is going to need to go back home. But when we get to that point and we need that help, going home is not about like going home in college. You know, because you're tired of eating ramen and microwave meals and you're ready for somebody to cook you a good meal. You've got some laundry you want to get done and you don't want to pay the prices. No, it's a coming home to stay. It's a coming home to a loving Heavenly Father who wants to be in relationship with you. But I think the hard part is, is when you get there, when you're that kid in the mud with the pig food in your hand getting ready to eat it, you realize if I'm going to go home, there are going to be consequences. Because as parents, we do this, right? We teach our kids. You can make a choice, but every choice you make has a consequence. That's what my kids would tell you. All choices have consequences. We've had the good consequences and the bad consequences. They all have consequences. And we're afraid of the consequences. We're afraid of how God will respond when we come back home. I wonder if this is what the sinners and tax collectors who were listening to Jesus tell this story thought, yeah, I don't want to go back home because there's going to be consequences. But the reality is when we come back home, we come home to a loving and gracious father who's ready to welcome us home. Why don't you take a look at this video about an Olympian named Derek Redman. Steve Lewis in lane three. Roberto Hernandez out quickly in four. Now down the back stretch. Ismael on the left of the screen is running very, very quickly. And inside of Lewis, Sunday Bada of Nigeria. And Derek Redman of Great Britain has pulled up with an injury. Redman is out. 
Derek Redmond, the British record holder and an important member of that British 4 by 400 meter relay team as he doesn't want anybody to help him. It'll be Lewis to win in 44.50. Look at this. He's going to try to finish his semifinal race. The British have a certain tradition of running, which you have to respect. A bizarre finish to this first semifinal in the men's 400 meters. Derek Redmond of Great Britain pulled up with an injury halfway down the back stretch. He's fighting off those trying to help him to finish the race in his lane. And now the pain too much. Stadium as Redmond, with assistance this time, approaches the finish line he had wanted so desperately to reach. That is the Olympic spirit. When we find ourselves in a place where we can't go any further, that's the loving Heavenly Father who runs to us, who wraps his arms around us, and who carries us across the finish line. I think that's why the Israelites wrote in Psalm 121, I lift my eyes to the hills. Where does my help come from. My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. That's the God we return home to. When you turn and you come back, that's the God who's waiting to help you. But if you pause and think about the story that Jesus is telling, we're also coming home to the storyteller. Jesus is the one telling the story. Emmanuel, God with us. Not a God who, just as the psalmist said, made heaven and earth, but a God who stepped out of heaven and into earth, into our pain, into our experience, into our suffering, so that he could know it firsthand. So we would know what it feels like to need to come home. He'd know what it feels like to live in our shoes and to live in our pain. You see, we live right now in a culture that's struggling to understand that. We live in a culture that would rather cancel someone 
then forgive them. And if you're not familiar with what cancel culture is, it's an internet phenomenon promoting the canceling of people, brands, and even shows and movies due to some considered to be offensive or problematic remarks or ideologies. You see, cancel culture says you made a mistake and there's no forgiveness for you, so we'll just do away with you. We'll just push you off to the side so that nobody will remember or think about or care about what you've done. The truth is, unlike cancel culture, Jesus looks at your sin. Instead of Jesus looking at your sin and canceling you, Jesus looks at you and cancels your sin. He cancels your debt. He cancels your shame. He cancels your mistakes. And he welcomes you with arms wide open and says, I love you. It's why the writer of Philippians can say, when he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. Jesus came to cancel those things because he made the decision that he would rather die for you than live without you. We can't do this by ourselves. We don't pick ourselves up and return home by ourselves. We do it because of the work of Jesus working in our lives and drawing us back to the Father. And it's in that that our moments of deepest pain are where God's love shines brightest. But I want you to know that's a conditional statement. God's love isn't conditional. But it does require us to ask for help. If you've got a sheet of paper with you, pull it out. If you don't, that's okay. I just want you to imagine in your mind. Imagine a sheet of paper in your mind. Put the word Jesus right in the center of that sheet of paper. Now I want you to think, where are you on that sheet of paper? If you were to put your name right next to Jesus' name, would it be right next to his? Right underneath it, right above it, right beside it? Would it be way down in the corner, trying to stay as far away? Maybe you're not even on the sheet. You're like, hey, listen, I don't know who this Jesus guy is. I'm not sure about this yet. So I'm not even on that sheet of paper. Where would you put your name? Where are you in relationship with Jesus right now today? Not where do you want to be, where are you? Now I want you to put an arrow coming out of your name. Is that an arrow leading you closer to Jesus? Because you're moving closer. Maybe you were the prodigal son and you're on your way back and you're getting closer. Or are you someone who for church, for you, church is a nice Sunday morning thing. Everybody thinks life is all together because you have created this nice little shell. But on the inside, we're running as far as we can to get off that page. And nobody knows it yet. How are you moving in relationship to Jesus? I want you to know no matter where you are, no matter what direction you're moving, God loves you. And he wants to help you. And he sent his son down to be the help you need. But he won't force that help on you. 
As we close, I want to share a story of a man named Charles Templeton. Charles Templeton first professed faith in Jesus in 1936 and then became an evangelist with somebody maybe you know or maybe you don't named Billy Graham. He and Billy Graham helped start Youth for Christ in Canada. They became roommates. They toured together speaking and sharing the gospel. But by 1948, Templeton's life and worldview were beginning to go in a different direction than Billy Graham's. Doubts about the Christian faith were solidifying as his plans to enter seminary. Less than a decade later in 1957, he would publicly declare that he was an agnostic. And in 1996, he published his memoirs, Farewell to God, My Reasons for Rejecting Christian Faith. And just a few years later, before his death, he was interviewed by Lee Strobel, who wrote the book, A Case for Faith. And it's in that interview that Strobel recounts this story of meeting with Templeton. Strobel talking says, and how do you assess this Jesus? It seemed like the next logical question, but I wasn't ready for the response it would invoke. Templeton's body language softened. It was as if he suddenly felt relaxed and comfortable in talking about an old and dear friend. His voice, which at times had displayed such a sharp and insistent edge, now took on a melancholy and reflective tone. His guard seemingly down, he spoke in an unhurried pace, almost nostalgically, carefully choosing his words as he talked about Jesus. Templeton began, he was the greatest human being who has ever lived. He was a moral genius. His ethical sense was unique. He was intrinsically the wisest person that I've ever encountered in my life or in my readings. His commitment was total and led to his own death, much to the detriment of the world. What, one, what could one say about him except that he was a form of greatness? Strobel says, I was taken back. You sound like you really care about him, I ask. Timbledon replied, well, yes, he's the most important thing in my life. I, I, Timbledon stuttered, searching for the right word. I know it might sound strange, but I have to say I adore him. Tumbleton continued, everything good I know, everything decent I know, everything pure I know, I learned from Jesus. Yes. Yes. And tough. Just look at Jesus. He castigated people. He was angry. People don't think of him that way, but they don't read the Bible. He had a righteous anger. He cared for the oppressed and exploited. There's no question that he had the highest moral standard, the least duplicity, the greatest compassion of any human being in history. There have been many other wonderful people, but Jesus is Jesus, Templeton said. But no, he said slowly, he's the most. Templeton stopped, then started again. In my view, he declared, he is the most important human being 
who has ever existed. Strobel recounts, that's when Templeton uttered the words I never expected to hear him say. And if I put it this way, Templeton said, his voice beginning to crack, I I miss him. Maybe that's where you are today. Maybe at one point you and Jesus were like this. Life circumstances have happened and you find yourself further away than you were before. Maybe you're here or listening online and you're thinking, you know, I've got a hole. I feel like I'm at the bottom. I want you to know whether you were this tight with Jesus or you've never known him, he's standing with open arms, wanting to welcome you back, wanting to welcome you home to where you belong. Because Jesus would rather die for us than live without us. So if that's where you are today, I wanna give you a moment as we close our service to pray. If you, like Templeton, once were like this with Jesus, things have happened, I wanna give you a chance to just pray silently where you are. Letting Jesus know you're ready to come back. You're ready to come home. You're ready to come back to the place where you belong. Or if you're here and you've never accepted Jesus into your heart, I'm gonna pray a prayer and I want you to just repeat that silently in your heart with me. Will you pray with me? If you're ready to ask Jesus in, just say this quietly. Jesus, for far too long, I've kept you out of my life. I know that I'm a sinner and I cannot save myself. I need you to be my source of help in the midst of life's storms. By faith, I gratefully receive your gift of salvation. I'm ready to trust you as my Lord and Savior. Thank you, Jesus, for coming to earth. I believe you are the Son of God who died on the cross for my sins and rose from the dead on the third day. I thank you for bearing my sins and giving me the gift of eternal life. I believe your words are true. Come into my life, Lord Jesus and be my Savior. Amen. If you prayed that prayer for the first time today, I want to invite you uh, to come talk to somebody after service if you're here, or click the button in the chat, and we would love to follow up with you. Jesus is your source of hope. And in your darkest moment is when God's love shines brightest. Zach's encouraged us to pray bold prayers. Week one, he said, God, pray, God, if you're real, make yourself real to me. Week two, he challenged us to pray, awaken in me the confidence that with you, I can start over again. And today, I wanna challenge you, if you're not ready to pray that prayer we just prayed, or you weren't ready to talk to God in that quiet moment, pray this prayer this week. God, awaken in me the ability to see that you are the help 
I need. 